Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include Bank News Du Jour, my interview with Argyle's Matt Gomes on alternative credit data and how it is enabling new and creative lending practices, and what to look forward to from today and tomorrow's Fed meeting. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Black Knight Inc., Innovative Technology, comprehensive data, agile analytics. As a premier provider of innovative, high-performance software, data and analytics for mortgage and home equity lending and servicing, Black Knight is transforming the mortgage industry through its best-in-class solutions. To learn more, visit blackknighting.com. The way bond math works, every man, woman, and child that owns a fixed income security issued when rates were lower is now underwater on that bond or security. As long as they continue to collect payments on that coupon and don't have to sell it, fine. If they're forced to sell the security at a loss and book it, that's a different story. When people want their money out of a bank and the bank needs to sell securities to pay off depositors, well, we've seen how that plays out. Along those lines, big bank problems make the headlines, but there are plenty of smaller depository bank mergers and acquisitions going on that don't make the headlines. And the same thing is happening with vendors and mortgage bankers and brokers. Before I forget, anyone can post a resume for free at LenderNews.com, and employers can view them for several months at a nominal charge. Is it business as usual for residential lenders out there? Warehouse lenders continue to lend, mortgage banks continue to lend, and life goes on? It seems that everyone is hoping that the round of bank headlines is over with, and the moves made by the government have squelched it from spreading. Market participants are hoping that the game of whack-a-mole in the latest banking crisis will end well. But there are deeper considerations at play in terms of the health of the overall economy. Well, moves by the government may limit wider contagion among financial institutions, tightening standards among lenders, Greater scrutiny and raising capital ratios all have the potential to slow economic activity. Combined with higher interest rates from the Federal Reserve, it can all but guarantee a coming recession. But what other options does the central bank have as it looks to vanquish inflation? For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Matt Gomes, General Manager of Credit and Lending at Argyle, a fintech that connects financial institutions with customers' income and employment data to make the process completely digital, reducing time to funding, lowering risk, and increasing conversion. Prior to joining Argyle, Matt spent five years at Opfi, scaling and leading a number of teams across marketing, analytics, and strategy before serving as GM for Opfi's payroll, Link Personal Loan product. So there's been kind of this, this shift in the mortgage industry and in other lending industries toward alternative credit. And I wanted to bring you on today because you're a you're quite the expert in this. And I'll start by asking you, even though the credit bureaus are factoring things like rent and utility payments, how do credit scores not always tell a loan applicant's full story? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question, Robbie. So I think I think it's important to break down into a into a few aspects here. And I'll start by saying credit scores in the aggregate do a fairly good job of rank ordering risk, right? In general, someone with a 700 FICO is going to outperform a 650, will outperform a 600 FICO. Um, But there are a couple of major blind spots in traditional credit scores. Uh, The first being that they they tend to operate on a, you know, two to three month delay. And I'll, I'll give an example of what I mean by that. 
So right now, if someone's you know falling behind on on say a credit card account, right, which would have a material impact on FICO score, uh, that that kind of falling behind on a payment takes about ninety days to show up, and and the reason for that is after spending you know uh, the money. There's a 25-day delay between that statement period closing and when the payment's due, and then there's an additional 30 to 60-day delay between that account going past due and it being reported to the credit bureau. So if you're a mortgage underwriter, particularly in this environment, um, you know, really, if, if you're only relying on traditional credit scores, you're, you tend to be operating in this kind of two to three-month um, you know, delay in, in the data that you're looking at, which can introduce a lot of risk, particularly in, in you know, a high inflation environment and potentially in a, an environment where, um, you know, unemployment will will likely rise. So I think that's, that's kind of the first aspect of, of what's not captured in a traditional uh, credit score. The other, um, you know, kind of blind spot in traditional credit scores is that they assume that, that you have a credit score, right? And I, I think, uh, particularly in the U.S., there's there's really two populations that, that are not being captured there. Um, the first being credit invisible, meaning that you don't have any any you know credit history, um, makes up uh, about 10, 12 percent of of the U.S. population. Um, examples of who who you know would qualify there could be a recent immigrant, someone who uh, has just turned age majority, or frankly, it could just be someone that that you know shies away from from uh, taking on debt. And and so you know again, talking about eleven percent of the population there, and and then the other um, you know pocket of of folks that aren't going to be scorable is what I you know I, I think the common term is is credit thin file or or um, you know having a thin credit file and and effectively that means that you have less than five credit accounts on record at any of the three major credit bureaus. Very very similar population, right? Could be recent immigrants, uh, someone who just shies away from taking on debt. But that actually makes up about uh, 50 million, uh, 59 million people, um, you know, that that uh, fall into that population. And so between two, you know, you're really talking about somewhere between, you know, 25, 35 percent of the U.S. population. I'm sure mortgage companies would bend over backwards to get 50 to 60 million new eligible borrowers coming in for applications. So I want I want to expand on these credit invisible and, and credit thin terms. Can you explain how these limit the dream of home ownership for these these this huge chunk of the population yeah you know i think i think it, it unfortunately almost becomes this kind of vicious self-fulfilling cycle right if if you don't have credit history then financial institutions are less likely uh to to be willing to extend uh any form of credit to you and so you can kind of see how if if someone is thin file they don't qualify for you know a credit card they don't qualify for even say an auto loan they can't build that credit history, and then you know you think about wanting to to go, um, you know, purchase a home, even if they have high income, uh, stable income, and and enough savings. They're really locked out of out of the market to to be able to go and and finance the majority of that purchase with a mortgage. So I, I do think it kind of becomes this this vicious self fulfilling cycle, and and it's it's I think a real challenge to get out of of being a thin file consumer. Well, let's talk. What are some ways that people can get out of being a, a thin file consumer? Yeah, you know, I think I think the good news is we live in a world where more and more data is is available, right? Um, you know, not not only uh, to to us, and it, it's also available to financial institutions, right? And and um, examples of records that 
you know, used to be really, really hard to get a hold of that that are now available digitally and instantly. Things like uh, bank account transaction data, income and employment data, um, bill payment data. So it may not be a credit instrument, but you know, if you've got five years of history where you're consistently paying something like a cell phone bill or a utility bill, um, all of those data points can paint a pretty complete picture of what type of credit risk someone. Um, you know, really is, even if there isn't that traditional FICO score or Vantage score that uh, financial institutions have, have relied on for, say, the last 30, 40 years. Um, so I think the good news is certainly becoming easier to, to get out of being a thin file as as more and more of this, this data is available. And I think we've seen a, a rise certainly in the fintech space, but, uh, you know, I think the, the traditional banks and lenders are catching up of, of starting to place more of an emphasis on on this alternative data um, that that you know is is available on a much larger percentage of the the U.S. population. Can you give us examples of some newer creative lending practices that are taking into account more than just a traditional FICO credit score? Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely, and I'll, I'll start with kind of um, you know just installment loans. I think that that's probably the the portion of of the environment or the or the landscape that that probably got there first. Um, you know, thinking about kind of traditional risk matrix, it tended to rely on on kind of two axes to figure out how risky someone was and, and where to appropriately price them. First of them, you know, being being a FICO score or a Vantage score, right? So um, you tend to rank order folks by decile, uh, you know, least risky to, to riskiest, and that's going to change, you know, maximum loan size you're willing to extend and 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 the APR. And then I think the the other one, and, and this is the one that that is continuing to gain importance as, as the data becomes available, um, is is really payment to income or debt to income ratio. Um, I, I I kind of use those interchangeably, even though they they measure different things, uh, because again, thinking about a, a thin file customer, it's hard to get a complete picture of what that person's debt burden looks like, right? Because they have fewer than five accounts, uh, and so I think payment to income, where you're you're really trying to model you know, what kind of financial burden is this new credit product going to have on an applicant? Um, payment to income is becoming, I think, increasingly important. And, and uh, you know, it's becoming a, a, a number that's much easier to calculate, again, with with software like like Argyles, where someone can can directly share, this is exactly how much money I make, this is when I make it, this is what my monthly income looks like, you know, year over year. Um, you're able to have a lot more confidence that you're not you know, ultimately overextending credit or or potentially uh, putting someone in a bind where they're going to struggle to keep up with those payments. Um, so, yeah, I think I think those are those are kind of the I think that's the direction we're moving in. And as more and more data, again, like I mentioned, be it bill payment data, um, income and employment data, or even looking at something like average bank account balances that trending up or down over time, all of those are are pretty good stand-ins for for a traditional FICO score. I'll get to Argyle in one second, but I want you to expand on one of your points there. I'll ask you, in your opinion, how do you see the space continuing to evolve and move forward? Where are we headed? You know, I think I think you know at the end of the day, cash flow underwriting I think is is going to become um, a more in, a more and more important um, aspect of of how we think about underwriting individuals. Um, you know, just thinking about like the buy now, the rise of buy now, pay later, right? That that doesn't even show up on on a credit report, uh, and obviously can have an impact on someone's cash flow month to month if you stack, 
you know, four, six, eight, eight, you know, BNPL purchases uh, in, into one bank account. And and ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the only way to really get a true read on someone's liquidity month to month, which obviously is a, a key component in mortgage underwriting or, or frankly, any form of credit underwriting, you, you need to be able to stitch together that complete picture of cash flow uh, to, to really understand, is this going to overextend, you know, an applicant or a borrower? Well put. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what's going on at Argyle. And, and you mentioned there that it, it allows for a better picture of how and when people are getting paid. Can you explain what you're working on over at Argyle? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Argyle is a payroll and, and employment data API platform. And and ultimately what that means is, is we're giving U.S. consumers, um, you know, the ability to share their income and employment records directly with financial institutions without having to go get pay stubs, without having to go to, you know, to HR to request uh, any of those documents. And and what that allows uh, financial institutions to do is is get that kind of instant and complete picture. How long has this person been employed in the role that they currently hold? What are they making? How stable is that income? Right? Is it heavily uh, commission-based? Uh, is, it, is it a higher base salary where we can rely on it more? Um, and we're able to provide that data in you know, seconds versus versus kind of the old method where, you know, you'd, you'd send an email to someone and say, hey, we need to see these pay stubs. We need to see these bank statements. We need a letter from your employer to prove that, you know, you're still gainfully employed. And and that kind of really painful manual process, we, we've really automated away. I think I might be having you back on the podcast soon to talk more about this. So I look forward to that. Uh, thank you for making the time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed the chat. Although most believe that the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee will raise rates by a quarter percent this week, the Federal Reserve's case for pausing its interest rate hike has gained traction among analysts after a coordinated move by six central banks to boost liquidity and U.S. dollar swap arrangements. The shift follows UBS's acquisition of Credit Suisse and the collapse of three U.S. banks, which led to increased concerns over financial contagion. But there is still fundamental economic data. Last week's economic data depicted an economy with easing, but still very high inflation, and emerging soft spots. The consumer price index increased 0.4% in February, which was in line with market expectations. On a yearly basis, consumer prices rose 6% over the last 12 months. The primary driver of the increase continues to be the shelter component, which accounted for nearly 70% of the increase. Shelter lags behind other items that make up the report in terms of timing, which means the recent decreases in rents and home prices have not fully made their way into this data. Up the supply food chain, producer prices unexpectedly eased by 0.1% in February, and January's 0.7% increase was revised down to 0.3%. Over the last 12 months, PPI increased 4.6%, well off the annual high set in March 2022 of 11.7%. Retail sales also fell in February, declining 0.4% as sales of motor vehicles and parts fell significantly. The Fed Fund's futures market still expects the FOMC to announce a 25 basis point rate hike on Wednesday. Today's calendar is much busier than yesterday's, which saw rates rise as markets continued to digest Credit Suisse and various other bank news. Today brings Philadelphia Fed non-manufacturing for March, Redbook same-store sales, existing home sales for February, and a treasury auction of $12 billion that reopened 20-year bonds. We begin the day with the two-year at 4.13%, 
Agency MBS prices worse a quarter, and the 10-year yielding 3.56 after closing yesterday at 3.48%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Just once, I want my username and password prompt to say, close enough. You ever wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and think, oh, that can't be accurate? <laughs> Thanks again to Black Knight Inc. Innovative technology, comprehensive data, agile analytics. As a premier provider of innovative high-performance software, data, and analytics for mortgage and home equity lending and servicing, Black Knight Inc. is transforming the mortgage industry through its best-in-class solutions. To learn more, visit blackknightinc.com. about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.